This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Jordi de las Pinas, co-founder and CEO at Smatix. Jordi, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. All right, that's, that's kind of our question to the whole audience. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like this? When you open an advertising platform website, read about its services, and struggle to find answers and questions important to you as an advertiser. Questions like... Who are the trading partners? Do they provide a transparent report and actual placement of my ads? What about safety of my brand? Do they provide any protection? Well, today we're going to be talking about DSP, which stands for Digital Supply Platform, as well as performance and transparency with Jordi from Smatics, the company that actually is transparent and answers these questions openly. But let's talk about you, Jordi, first. Tell us about yourself. I know before founding Smatix, uh, you used to work at developing microchips for mobile phones. How did you get into mobile advertising business? It's a kind of a transition from a hardware world to a net business. I actually find, find it quite interesting, a quite interesting story myself. And, and for years, when I was having meetings with clients, I, I used to brag about the fact that I don't come from a digital advertising background. And I love to say that. Uh, now, you know, I started this in 2011, so I've been almost 10 years at it, so I cannot say it anymore. I, I am, I'm more of an expert now in digital advertising, but, but actually my background is in engineering. And, you know, I love being an engineer. And in many aspects, I, I lead my company with an engineering hat. And so I'm, even though I'm the CEO, I, I'm on top of our product, our architecture, our data science, optimization techniques, and I love that. And I think that kind of gives us an edge. But yeah, before that, before starting this company, I, I worked at Qualcomm in California and I was uh, working on the chip design division and, you know, everything that has to do with signal processing, just kind of the discipline that focuses on converting radio signals into zeros and ones that have information, right? And it was the first days of 3G back in 2000 and I loved everything about it. I loved California. I loved my work. It was my first job, but I was many, many years there. I was eight years working there. And even though I loved, I loved everything, um, you know that we humans, we always want what we don't have. And yeah. after having been there so long, I missed being closer to my family. I'm a very family person and all my family is here in Barcelona, where, where, I'm, where I am from and where I am now. So, so I said, look, you know, my, all my professional experience is in building chips and I don't know where I'm going to find a job building chips in Barcelona. So what am I going to do if I were to go back? So I, I decided to to get an MBA. So I, I, I was accepted at MIT, got an MBA there, very focused on technology and entrepreneurship, which are things that I love. And, and I wanted to see if I could learn something different that would allow me to get some opportunities here in Barcelona. And, and I thought MIT was a great, great school to focus on technology and entrepreneurship. And it was a great, a great experience for me. So, so I got the MBA, moved back to Spain, found a job in a wireless operator. I didn't like it at all. And that was 2010. And I said, wow, you know, what am I going to do? So 
you know, let's start a company. And I didn't know what to start a company on, but it was that time is what smartphones began to be, you know, popular. Yeah. And I thought, you know, there's going to be a lot of smartphones. I knew that from the operator I was working on. I knew there were going to be a lot of smartphones and a lot of data plans. And, and so I said, you know, let's try an advertising business. But I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how Google made money. I didn't know anything on advertising. So I tried to read and get informed. I remember in a Mobile World Congress, I learned about something called programmatic advertising, which is what my company does now, something called real-time bidding. And, and, you know, my background on signal processing actually made the perfect match to what I understood that a real-time bidding engine would need. Um, very, very related to machine learning, which is what, what needs to happen in a, in a programmatic advertising platform. Because in the end, machine learning and signal processing are quite similar disciplines. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I could add a lot of value in that. And, and, and so that's how I, I started Smadex and I could make my background useful. And, you know, it's interesting that uh, my engineering background in the end from my California days in Qualcomm was actually helpful in beginning a company that was not related to, to chips and even though, you know, uh, I thought that I was not going to be able to do anything related to signal processing in Barcelona. So it's quite, quite an interesting transition, but I think it gives me quite a good edge with my background on, on, this, on this market. Yeah, that's, that's a bit of a journey for sure. Uh, you were yeah. separating signal from noise, being an yeah. engineer, and now you're doing the same thing uh, for programmatic advertising. Exactly the same. Exactly. So are you an engineer? Because like concepts of signal and noise are not easy to grasp. Yeah, a bit of a physics from uh, you know, uh, my <laughs> high school and university is still in me. Nice. And actually, I, I love physics probably. That's, that's why I'm kind of uh, familiar with these concepts. Um, nice. But let's transition to your company. Uh, tell us about Smatex. Um, give us a kind of a quick portrait what it does. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Smatex is a mobile advertising platform, and in particular, a mobile programmatic advertising platform, okay? So in short, mm -hmm. what we do is that we place ads on behalf of our clients, our adverti the advertisers, we place ads on people's cell phones, on apps or on websites on the phone, okay? We specialize on user acquisition. So we help app marketers to get people to download their app into their phone. And actually, it gets a little bit more complicated than that because as the market is evolving and marketers are more demanding, they, don't not, they not only want people to download their app, but they also want that the people that download their app are good customers for them. So that they, the people that download their app, they, they register in it, they make purchases, they make the advertiser money, right? So with our platform, we are helping these marketers find these people show them ads and entice them to download their app and make them money. That's what we specialize on, uh, user acquisition. But in addition, you know, with our platform, we are, we are able to also help other types of advertisers that may not be just focused on user acquisition, more like branding, reaching an audience, showing beautiful ads, etc. It's something that we also do, even though it's not the focus. What we focus on is user acquisition for app marketers. And now we are going also beyond the mobile phones. We are, we're getting into connected TV advertising, um, digital at-home, which are very related to what we do and, and new, very, very interesting forms of advertising that are happening now. 
um, what, what we strive to achieve for our clients in general is to give them two things that I believe are key and any marketer would want and you touched on before, which is performance and transparency. What we mean by that is that we want to make sure that advertisers achieve their advertising goals. You know, I want to advertise and I want my advertising to give me a return. So we want them to achieve that, but we want to do it in a transparent way. That means, transparency piece means that we're going to show the advertiser where each of the ads that we place for them are shown. So what publisher, but also what phone, what city, everything that we know about each of the billions of ads that we place, we give that information to advertisers. And also, we want to be transparent with advertisers on how we set up campaigns. So that's why we have a self-service interface where advertisers can see how the parameters of the campaign are. So we're setting up a campaign saying, hey, we want to target these phones, these publishers, these people, we're going to be bidding this much, we're going to configure algorithms this way, and we don't want any of that to be black box. We want our clients to be in control of their dollars, their advertising dollars, and and achieve their results. So that's why, for us, advertising um, is all about performance and transparency, and that these are the key two words that guide everything that we do. Gotcha, Jordi. I mentioned this term DSP before. Uh, I know many listeners may be familiar with what is DSP, but let's, for the benefit of those folks who are not, uh, define what is DSP and uh, what is benefits for app marketers. Okay, great. So remember before that I said that that we are a mobile programmatic advertising platform, and that word Mm -hmm. programmatic is key. And what we are in in the techie naming of advertisers is, is, as you say, known as a DSP, which stands for demand-side platform, which is a horrible name and definition. I didn't invent it, so don't, don't, don't blame me for it, but, but that's I, what I know, I know. people call it, the demand-side platform, the DSP, demand-side platform. I have a quite funny anecdote about demand-side platforms, which is that when I was at Qualcomm, remember my, my story, uh, I was working, building digital signal processors, which exactly. are known also in the mm-hmm. industry as DSPs. Yep. Yep. So, you know, a DSP could be either a digital signal processor, uh, which is a chip, or a demand-side platform, which is an advertising platform. And I'm, I'm a guy that has worked in two companies that build DSPs, but like the two exceptions of the word DSP. So I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a DSP kind of guy. And that's just a funny story. But anyway, let, let me explain what a DSP in the context of advertising is. You see, there are different ways in which uh, you can show an ad in a, in a cell phone or in a computer. For example, you just could get in touch with a sales rep of a big newspaper and say, hey, you know, I want to show an ad in your uh, newspaper app, or the, the app version of the newspaper, and you could do a deal with them and don't not use the DSP for that. And that still happens today. You could do that. But with the DSP and with real-time bidding and with programmatic advertising, what happens when you see an ad is something actually quite extraordinary. I, To be honest, I'm... I'm super proud of what we've built, but I'm still amazed at all the technology that goes into showing that ad. So let me give you let me give you two cents about what happens and, and why it happens. What happens when you open up an app in your phone is that, you know, let's say that this is a newspaper app and that app wants to make money, right? The newspaper wants to make money, so they want to show ads to make money. And so what they do is that at that moment, when you're opening the app, 
they know that you have opened that app and they they have a space they are reserved to put an ad and they auction off that space. They say, hey, you know, who wants to show an ad to art uh, on this phone? And companies like mine, DSPs, we see that auction and we have 100 milliseconds to reply to that auction and say, hey, you know, I have a client that is, I don't know, um, Candy Crush that, uh, or King.com that wants to show an app in Art's phone because we believe that Art is a person that likes to play Candy Crush and we want him to convince him to, to download Candy Crush. So each DSP has their own clients and they have to decide within 100 milliseconds how much they want to bid for that auction. And whoever bids more on those 100 milliseconds wins the auction and is given the chance to show the ad at that time. And all this happens in real time. So... The interesting thing is that DSPs have to have a smart technology, machine learning, if you want, to make those decisions. Obviously, a human cannot make those decisions because you have only 100 milliseconds to do it. And with the DSP like Smilex, we do about a million of these auctions every second. So every second, we participate in a million auctions all over the world about ad space that is auctioned off by, by publishers. And so this is what DSPs does. And as you can see, I'm uh, this actually impresses me a lot. When I started the company, I never thought that I would be able to build a platform that would be so complex and the one we built. I, I remember when we were doing just 1,000 auctions a second and then 10,000 auctions a second, and now we are over a million auctions a second. And, and it's just amazing how complex it is. And I, I'm amazed that, that we are able to do it and do it well. Um, and you know what, what are the benefits for, for an advertiser to use a DSP? Well, the, what programmatic allows, all this real-time bidding in the end is like the concept behind showing ads programmatically. What it allows is for advertisers to be able to choose the, an ad to the right person at the right time. So instead of you know, going to a TV station and showing an ad on the same ad to everybody that is uh, tuning to that TV station at that time, here we're able to, to show you an ad uh, when you're... Uh, when we think that you'll be more susceptible to receive that ad and show a person next to you a different ad based on what we know of the interest of that person. And so that is like magical for advertisers to be able to show the right ad to the right person at the right time. Um, and in addition, programmatic advertising or DSPs, what, what it would allow for advertisers is to being in control of their campaigns. You know, they the good DSPs should allow advertisers to say, hey, you know, I want to show ads to this person, this type of person, and this type of person, but not show ads to this type of person or this type of person. And I want to show ads only to these phones and only to these cities. And so this super tight control is something that you can do with programmatic advertising and with DSPs. Um, and, you know, if the DSP that you use is good um, and it will have very, very good machine learning and algorithms, not only it will do all that, but it will also achieve your advertising goal. So if you're an advertiser and you want to advertise to be able to uh, get a return on advertising spend of uh, 120%, uh, so if I spend 100 on advertising and get $120 on, on sales, a good DSP should be able to do that. So, um, so that's what a DSP is and the advantages it gives you. Yeah, that's, that's quite remarkable from a technical standpoint, uh, how many operations you can make uh, in a millisecond and uh, how many decisions are made 
automatically based on the uh, good algorithm. Now, I'm sure uh, being a CEO of Smatics, one of the big players in the mobile device market, you should have kind of a broad perspective on what are the options for app user acquisitions, uh, app user acquisition uh, on the table for app marketers today. Uh, so what are those options and what kind of challenges do they face? Because um, speaking of challenges, my understanding is that with the upcoming iOS 14 release, targeting individuals may be challenged. Is that the case? Excellent question. Um, so, okay, so first, what are the options that, that a yeah. marketer has? So obviously, obviously, Google and Facebook are the big, big players out there, right? They take big proportion of the market, and, and it's because they have amazing data and amazing technology. So advertisers can use, obviously, Google and Facebook, um, but that's not it. Um, there are other options. So other options are ad networks that um, represent a bunch of publishers and allow advertisers to show ads on those publishers. And then there are DSPs like us um, that are able to buy programmatically ads into pretty much all the publishers out there by use of uh, real-time bidding technology. Now, there are many, many challenges uh, today, and challenges become more and more complex every day. Uh, obviously, the, the obvious challenge for, for growth marketers and, uh, and user acquisition is to achieve your advertising goals. So your return on advertising spend is a key metric, right? I, I want to spend this much on advertising, but I want to make, you know, as a result of this advertising, more money than what I'm spending. Otherwise, my advertising is not, is not useful. It's easier said than done. That's very, very complex to do, but that's your main goal your main, and your main challenge. There's a lot of challenges on fraud in the digital advertising industry today. You have to sometimes trust or use technologies that help you make sure that you trust that the numbers that these platforms, all the platforms I told you, Google, Facebook, and networks, DSPs, that the numbers that they tell you are real. So if they tell you, hey, I showed a million ads, you know, you cannot go and see that you showed a million ads, right? You have, yeah. to, you have to trust this. And Obviously. Fraud, fraud in digital advertising has been and continues to be a big, big issue and something that needs to be fought and will continue to be fought. And we'll continue to, the situation versus fraud will continue to improve over time as uh, advertisers become more knowledgeable and platforms fight it better. And it affects every platform out there. So every platform is affected by it. There's other concerns or challenges with privacy, you know. Um, so digital advertising, in the beginning, it sounded all very beautiful because of everything I said before, right? You can target the right person at the right time. Now, how this matches with privacy and with people rightful desire to not be tracked, you know? like the same as you don't want anyone to be knowing everything that you do on the real world. They may not want uh, for companies to know what they're doing in the digital world. And with exactly. mobile phones, this concept actually kind of get mixed, right? Because you have your mobile phone always with you. So companies could know everything, everywhere you're going and everything you're doing. So privacy is a big concern. And, and actually, some people say, and I believe so, that the internet nowadays, and you know, it's going to take a few years, but it's redefining itself. At the beginning, it was kind of the, the Wild West, where there's like a lot of private information being traded and available for many companies. Now, people have realized how, what's the extent of that, and there's a lot of initiatives to control that. And these initiatives, 
which are good initiatives, will have a big impact on the advertising industry on on getting results and performance on advertising. And the market will have to adapt to find the solution that is both right for privacy, but also allows advertisers to make advertising good for them. And so, you know, there's been many things on privacy. There's been GDPR. Google announced that uh, it's going to have some changes on the way it handles third-party cookies in about a year. But Apple, with iOS 14, kind of like came and did like a big, big, big statement um, and said, you know, in the three months, I'm going to change everything. And so that's been a very, very uh, interesting development. I think that, personally, I think that it's good that privacy is in the middle of, is in the first, is the, in the mindset of everyone, and we should all take privacy very, very, should all consider a lot for privacy and what we do, and including my company. Um, I, I think my opinion is that Apple has gone a little too fast uh, and gone a little too far too fast with what it's done. Actually, recently Apple announced that it's delaying its plans for yeah. part of the aspects of iOS 14 that impacted precisely uh, advertising and privacy because I think they realized that it was not giving enough time to an $80 billion industry to adjust. Um, but I think I think that, you know, it was necessary that someone big with power, like Apple, did something like what they did so that we all take it seriously and, and do change the mentality. And I think it's going to be super interesting to see how it affects the whole market. And I think that it's going to evolve. So whatever Apple is doing is something that is going to change with time as, as the market finds the right balance between privacy and, and, and advertising, which is something that is fundamental for the internet as we know today. Advertising, the internet as we know today would not be possible without advertising. It funds for many things that we receive for free today. And so, so it's going to be super interesting how that develops. Um, for us, we are treating this iOS 14 at Smadix as a fantastic opportunity. We actually think it favors us because of the way that we approach our company, especially when it comes to transparency. We, um, everything that we do is based on transparency. So how we set up campaigns, how to optimize campaigns, how we, um, how we show information to advertisers. And I believe that all this plays in favor of the spirit that Apple wants to put uh, with their, with their um, solution. So we're actually, you know, working very hard to adapt to the changes mm -hmm. to iOS 14, but we are, we are actually very much encouraged by these changes. And we think that doing this kind of puts all the players that we mentioned before in a level playing field. And I think that benefits us very, very much. So, so I think in, regardless, it's a big, big challenge for the industry and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the market adapts to it. Yeah, we'll see, Jordi. In a few months, uh, if I remember correctly, Apple said early 2021. Who knows? Could be January, could be February. So yeah, there are, there are a few more months for people to, you know, uh, make up their minds, adjust their platforms, and comply with the uh, regulation the, for the from Apple that is coming. Now, in today's world, uh, totally impacted by COVID-19, uh, what's going on with mobile advertising on a big scale? Because initially in March, April, advertisers were pulling their budgets away from publishers, obviously, were cutting on their ad campaigns. What's going on today in September? Actually, it's a super hot 
question and hot topic uh, for us. We were definitely very, very much impacted in March, as pretty much everyone in the world. Yeah. Um, we had to adapt and act fast. We had a lot of campaigns on many geographies uh, on verticals that were hit hard, like uh, travel and tourism. So that affected us tremendously. And what we had to do was adapt um, and, you know, trying to get customers for uh, verticals or segments that have flourished, which there are. Actually, I think this whole COVID-19 situation, terrible as it's been for a lot of people, and a lot of people that have soft um, personal losses that are, that are uh, horrible, um, it has accelerated the digital transformation of the world. I think it has accelerated the way we work. And we were just talking about it before um, that, uh, you know, I think that there's going to be a before and after COVID uh, in terms to office work. Um, I think that now pretty much all the world is working or a lot of the world is working from home. Um, and before a lot of these people were working in the office. And I think that after COVID, hopefully soon, um, we will go to a world that is not going to be the same as before and where people will will still work part in the office and part at home. And that has accelerated a lot of changes in digital culture and digital habits um, for a lot of people in terms of shopping. You know, a lot of companies, a lot of people now buying much more online than they did before. Entertainment, you know, much more in-home entertainment than outdoors entertainment. Um, and so I think that um, we as a, player in the advertising um, world have had to adapt to this transformation. But, you know, us being a digital advertising company, I think that we benefit from this. And again, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur, so I always try to be the optimist and I always try to see the good thing in, in, in what happens in life. I, I see this as an opportunity for us, an uh, opportunity to more digital transformation and, uh, and we're definitely adapting fast to give a good service to the companies that are flourishing and benefiting from, from the whole, more than the, you know, the bad COVID world, that the digital transformation um, is a more positive way of seeing what's happening of, uh, of the world that we live in today. Gotcha. Now, if you had a power to change mobile advertising radically, what would you do? What do you think is the biggest problem at the moment with mobile advertising? I do have one, actually, and, you know, it's not the first time that I answer this question. Um, and I, there is definitely something that I, that I really think is a problem in digital advertising today, which is attribution, which is actually a challenge now with iOS 14 also. iOS 14 is introducing a new way to get attribution, but basically attribution means the mechanism by which advertisers give merit to a partner or to a company that showed an ad. In the end, it's giving merit to an ad. So basically, attribution means, you know, I showed a million ads for my campaign to a million people. And one of these people went and um, bought something for me, you know, because of the ad they, they saw. Now, who, which ad gets merit for that action that this person did? And I think that, in digital advertising, 99.9% .9 of companies um, are using metrics that were defined at the beginning of the internet um, when it comes to attribution, 
that I fundamentally believe are flawed. Maybe flawed is too strong of a word, but maybe not aligned with advertisers' interests. Let me give you an example. Imagine that you've seen 20 ads of Coke on the TV, and then you buy a Coke. Do you think it would be reasonable to think that the, the reason that you bought that Coke was because of the last ad you saw? I don't no. think so. No. It doesn't make any sense. And this is what's happening with $80 billion of advertising today. $80 billion are measured by that concept, which I think is flawed. And you know what happens with digital advertising is that in the end, it's very attractive because it gives numbers to measure things, right? And everybody loves numbers to measure things. Everybody loves that three is bigger than two. And, you oh, know, yeah. I see a three, I see a two, and I know three, three is bigger than two. And I don't need to think because three is bigger than two. And the problem with numbers is that they need to be interpreted. And that's a much harder proposition than just knowing that three is bigger than two. And I think that this is a very, very big problem in, in digital advertising that we are using metrics that coincidentally or definitely not coincidentally favor some huge companies out there uh, that benefit from being measured on things like last click, you know, last click attribution kind of methods that I don't think that reflect what advertising really is. In fact, you know, traditional advertising would always tell you that the ad that has the most effect on a person will always be the first ad that this person sees. So, um, you know, if, if you imagine that you spend a lot of money in a campaign, in an advertising campaign, and you have one final dollar and it gives this dollar allows you to show one more ad, who would you show that ad? To a person that has never seen your ad or to a person that has already seen it? And the theory will tell you always, always, always show it to a new person. But in digital advertising, that's not the case because we are giving merit based on the last click. So what you want is that, you know, you want your ad to be shown to the last person that will interact with your ad before they do something. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing for the advertiser. So I think that that will change. I actually know some companies that are working on propositions to change how this attribution concept um, occurs. And I think this will have profound implications on, on digital advertising. And, you know, iOS 14 has parts of that. They are, Apple is imposing a new way of giving merit and attribution. They are still using last click concepts. But I think this will change. All this has to change because it's not right. It's definitely not right. Yeah, so it looks like a bunch of companies are actually contributors in, in the success when somebody is taking place a purchase subscription, but only the last one gets the credit. Like yeah. 10 people can actually contribute, but they don't get any credit for that action. Only the last one is the winner. So it's kind That's of, absurd. A, yeah, it is absurd. All right, let's switch the gears. I'm going to ask you a few quick questions, which I'm asking to every guest to, to paint a better portrait of who or she is for the audience. So here are these questions. Are you iOS or Android person? I'm definitely an Android person. I'm too much of a geek, so definitely Android. All right, I've got one more uh, item on the Android pile. <laughs> I haven't got anything here on that pile for a while, so I'm <laughs> I make a record. Okay. What was your first mobile phone? Actually, that's a good one. My first mobile phone was a Qualcomm phone. Uh, there are no more Qualcomm phones now, but back wow. in 2000, we did make phones. And, and we prided ourselves in being phones that were sturdy that you could like throw them to the floor and they would not break. So that was my very first mobile phone. 
That's interesting. I, I never heard about Qualcomm phone. <laughs> that, that's news to me. Get back to 2020. Uh, what is your favorite app now? Wow, interesting. You know, my favorite app is an app that I can no longer have in my phone um, because my wife forbids it. It's called Lee Chess, and it's a chess app. It's like to play chess. I'm, I'm, I, I love playing chess, but, but I got addicted to it, and my wife said, no more chess. You have to help me with the kids. So I had to disable it from my phone, and I cannot have my favorite app on my phone now. <laughs> uh, okay all right um now um that's i think it's going to be an interesting question for you uh specifically what new app technologies are you most excited about probably giving a background as an engineer is there something that you're waiting for that is going to be partially you know defined by software and hardware what are you waiting for mm -hmm. well I, i have an answer for that which is 5g i i think 5G in many aspects will change a lot of things of how we live. I think that uh, it will allow for a truly development of Internet of Things and being connected to many devices at the same time. And I think this will have implications also on advertising, but in many other aspects of our lives. I, you know, I remember because I was part of the development of 3G, remember of data connectivity and mm -hmm, phones. And mm -hmm. for many years, we thought we, I was working on 3G and And people thought, yeah, when we have internet on phones, it's going to be amazing. But nobody knew what it was going to mean because until the iPhone was released, kind of the internet on phones didn't help much. Uh, but we kind of like all had the feeling that 3G was going to be huge. And, you know, having internet on phones has proven to be huge. And I think 5G will, will have a profound uh, effect and, and change on the way that we interact with uh, phones and other devices. Uh, so I think 5G is going to be very interesting and it's happening now. So. They're going to be very interesting to follow. And I hope people will stop breaking 5G towers like they did in the UK, which was <laughs> just crazy. Um, <laughs> all right. That was my last question. But before I let you go, uh, just one more. How can people get in touch with you and know more about what you do? Well, thanks for that. Uh, well, definitely they can uh, go to our website, smadex.com, and, uh, and read everything about what we do and hope they find it interesting. To get in touch with me personally, the best way would be LinkedIn. Uh, search for Jordi de los Pinos, and uh, I don't think there's that many in the world, so it's going to be easy to find me. And last for not, but not least, um, I think it would be great if uh, you guys want to get in touch with me, check our the Mobile Masterminds community. It's a community that we're building with... Uh, people with interest in user acquisition and mobile advertising. Uh, great, great community of uh, experts on the field. And uh, I'm there and uh, other experts are there. And if you want to learn about mobile advertising, that's the place to go. Mobile Masterminds. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks a lot for your time and coming on podcast journey. Thank you. Thank you, Art. Great, great talking to you. Bye-bye. And that was Jordi de los Pinas, co-founder and CEO at Smatics. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Once you subscribe, you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please, don't forget to leave us a review and comment. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. See you next week. Bye. This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.